Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. We are at proper 12 in year A. Our series is Define Christian, and today we are looking at how the Christian seeks spiritual wealth. Uh, I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, moderating once again. Uh, with me for this series, Pastor Tom Unke from Shepherd of the Hills Lutheran Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, and Pastor Andy Miller from Beautiful Savior Lutheran Church, also in Las Vegas. Well, uh, Andy Miller, let's start out with Proper 12a and uh, just getting oriented where we are in the Define Christian series. Could you give us a brief summary of this week's theme? Yeah, thank you, John. Happy to do so. Happy to be here again and really appreciate you and, and the brothers for this time together. Last week, we started into Matthew 13, a chapter with seven parables, seven parables. It's really a great chapter of the Bible. Some of those parables are exclusive to Matthew's gospel. We'll get into a few of them today. Jesus, last week what we studied was that he told, but also explained the parable of the wheat and the weeds. The harvest is coming. We want to be patient. We want to be prepared. Today, we have three very concise, short, sweet parables that Jesus doesn't take the time to explain. They're direct enough on their own. At first glance, they may not seem to fit uniformly together. At least the first two do, but the, the second or the, the, the third may not seem to have much contextual connection. But I think for preachers, perhaps a unifying thought might revolve around urgency. Jesus reorients us and our lives around the gospel it's in a peace-filled way, yet also an urgent way as his disciples, so that we are prepared for the judgment which is to come. Thanks for giving us that summary. Um, let's go to the other readings for the day then. Uh, we will focus on Matthew 13, 44 to 52 as the sermon text. But uh, Tom, could you um, remind us of the first and second reading and just point out how they fit together? Sure. So the gist of the gospel lesson for today, of course, is going to be that the treasures that God gives, the glory that God gives in the kingdom and in the gospel, far more important than anything else in this world. So that theme plays back into the earliest readings. The first Kings 3, 5 to 12 is a story of God coming to Solomon and saying, ask anything. And Solomon asks for wisdom, wisdom that comes from God, because he sees the task in front of him. And uh, with a little bit of wisdom of his own, he asks for divine wisdom rather than what he could have asked for. You know, it's kind of everybody's dream to have three wishes or something like that. But he didn't ask for wealth or fame or glory. He asked for wisdom. So um, fits in the theme of choosing what is wiser, choosing what is from God. And then when Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, the very end of that first letter, he's talking to Timothy. And he says, tell those who are rich that they should not take pride in their wealth, that they should not trust in their wealth, that they should set their hope on God, because um, he's the one who gives joy to life. And not only that, but if their um, treasure is there in the coming age instead of in this one, then they're going to have what, I like the phrase he says, is they will have life that is truly life. And uh, that's a good reminder to all of us, fits in well with the day's theme. And then Psalm 63 has that beautiful um, 
song of praise, I thirst for you, I long for you, Lord. And then the phrase that, you know, ties this all together, your love is better than life. And uh, I just, that song has been set to so many beautiful hymn settings and that sort of thing. So uh, your love is better than life is consistent with choosing that, which is Okay, so sorry, I think we had a little glitch there, but uh, I was speaking about Psalm 63, um, just talking about the song of praise and how the Christian longs for and thirsts for the love of God. And then that beautiful phrase, your love is better than life, that kind of ties it all together, uh, might even find its way into a sermon theme in the midst of this day, but uh, readings tie beautifully well together. Right. All speak of, yeah, here's what's valuable, here's what's important, using all different kinds of, of pictures uh, or the narrative in First Kings um, and calling on us to treasure them, value them for what they are. Well, uh, Andy, let's go back to you then. Could you just get us thinking about the sermon text, Matthew 13, 44 to 52? Uh, maybe just turn things over to you if you want to uh, highlight some points and uh, get preachers thinking about what this has to say about seeking spiritual wealth. Sure. First of all, the idea of the kingdom of heaven is right up front in both the first two parables and also the last, the third. The, so you want to find the point of the, the simile. The kingdom of heaven is like, well, in the first two parables, obviously the, the comparison is relatively simple. However, uh, we know that there can be different understandings of the kingdom of heaven. Is it referring to heaven? Is it referring to simply faith? Or is it referring to the activity of the gospel in the world and in, and in the church, say? That seems to be the place to, to take this, the activity of the gospel. The gospel is such that the Lord reveals it to us, reveals it to lost and condemned creatures. When he brings us by grace into faith, the lives of his people are reoriented. Uh, and with a, a degree of urgency and, and commitment and almost positive desperation, my whole life is different now that I have this treasure. In the third, excuse me, that is brought out by, of course, the Panta in both the verse 44 and 46. So you've got the emphasis on both the the hoirisco, the discovery, and the unintentional nature of stumbling upon this priceless treasure. And then, of course, the reaction or the, you could say, the sanctification that follows is the changed life of the disciple. In the second parable, you have something similar with the kingdom of heaven being compared. In this case, there's an interesting term for the wicked, which really has to do with with differentiation in the in the fish and the idea there with the wicked being being differentiated from the righteous and um, so you, there could be an understanding of that from more than just the world at large but also if you think of it in terms of the context of discipleship even within the church there's going to be a differentiation made between those who supposedly have faith but don't and those who genuinely do have faith when the final day comes. Okay. Um, Tom, would you like to contribute anything to that or augment Andy's uh, explanation there? Um, anything that you 
that caught your attention as you were studying the text that uh, preachers might find uh, useful as you highlight it? Sure. I, in the first two parables, the treasure in the field and the pearl of great price, um, I think it's notable that uh, in both cases, it said that he, the man who found the treasure in the field went and sold all he had. Now, obviously, we're not dabbling in work righteousness here. That's not the point of the parable. But the point of comparison, there was nothing that he had. Even the total sum of everything that he had um, was not to be compared with the treasure that he found. And uh, same with the pearl. There it says that he sold everything and bought the pearl itself. So just uh, a reminder that obviously is gonna find its way into the malady of you know, not doing that. You know, So we can talk about maladies in a minute or unless you want me to go ahead with that thought. Yeah, maybe I could just pause and um, mention uh, some guys as they're studying this or looking at resources on this parable might find a different interpretation of it. Um, where Jesus is the one looking for the treasure, Jesus is the one looking for the pearls, and then Jesus is the one sacrificing all he has, even his very life, uh, to have that. So in, in that interpretation, you know, we are the treasure valued uh, by Jesus so highly that he gives up his life for us. Um, he is the one who sacrifices. Um, just wanted to mention that because guys will run into that, I think. Um, I am taking this in a little different direction, more along the lines of what you guys said. Um, and here's the reason why. I think the, the placement of these parables is significant. Um, we've heard already the last couple of weeks how God is the one who plants the seed. God is the one who makes it grow. Uh, the kingdom comes to us. And I believe that these two parables then, um, the treasure and the pearl, are essentially saying to the disciple, okay, the kingdom has come to you. God has planted the seed of the word in your heart. Um, it is alive. It is growing. Um, now, what will you do with it? Uh, will you value it? Are you willing to sacrifice in order to keep it? Um, so I'm taking that angle. The, the one I mentioned where Jesus is the one looking for the treasure and the pearl, um, I appreciate the, the thought behind it. I mean, it is it, uh, Christocentric. It is uh, watching out for that tendency that maybe we do have or others do have when we look at parables sometimes. And that is just to boil it down to, hey, what's the moral of the story? Or what, what am I supposed to do now? Um, and it place, places all the action, all the onus back on us for what we need to do. So I appreciate that effort to say, now let's focus on Jesus and his work. Um, but I think contextually, it fits better to view these as discipleship parables. The kingdom has come to us. Now we are being called on to retain it. Um, a kind of a parallel section I might see here uh, is the end of John 6, when uh, John uh, records how Jesus gives the bread of life discourse and, and points to himself as the bread of life. And then it says many people leave, and Jesus turns to the disciples and says, are you going to leave too? Um, that's when Peter says, well, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Um, we're going to stick with you. Uh, I see this as, as something similar. At the concluding section of this parable chapter, here Jesus is saying, the kingdom has come. Um, are you going to hang on to it? 
uh, or are you going to walk away from it? Um, so I, I just wanted to mention that because I think guys are uh, going to run into it out there. But um, we're taking a look, and I think the lectionary, the foundation resources make that obvious too. We're looking at these parables as ones that call on us to appreciate and value the spiritual wealth that God has given us by his grace. Uh, all right, well, that little um, aside, uh, done with, maybe we could turn our attention, as Tom suggested, to the malady. Um, what do you see as the malady or the law preaching from uh, these parables? Tom? I just wanted to come back to that, um, sold everything and gave everything. You know, Jesus taught on that subject quite a few different times. I, I just, if you want to do some research in your sermon preparation, you go to Luke 14, and that's where um, Jesus was teaching also in parables and he used the parable of building a tower you have to calculate the cost or going to war against another king you have to calculate whether or not you can win the war and then uh, the teaching that he himself drew from those parables was in verse 33 of Luke 14 in the same way those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples so he's taught that um, it's calling for full commitment and I guess a malady for sure would be unwilling to pay the cost, unwilling to recognize that certain things just are not worth holding on to. And uh, that, you know, we, we say it in theory, of course I would give everything up, but the day comes or could come when you have to do it in practice as well. If I could just throw one other in there too, if you go to Matthew 19 and that's where the, uh, you know, the camel through the eye of a needle, Jesus talks about how difficult it is for a rich man to get to heaven and who then can be saved. And he said, well, with God, it's possible. And then Peter, recognizing the situation, just went to the Lord and said, Lord, we left everything for you. And Jesus then put that beautiful promise there. He said, everyone who left houses or family or children or fields for my sake, they're going to receive back a hundred times as much and have eternal life. So um, the choice between worldly possessions, earthly treasures, earthly goals, compared to the treasure of the kingdom of God in the gospel, um, taught many different places. And this is obviously an encouragement to Christians to say, don't uh, be ready to pay that price because it's well worth it. Right, right. Um, Andy, additional thoughts on the malady? Yeah, just two things in that regard. First of all, what something Tom said reminded me of, there's a silly website called despair.com and they have all these sardonic messages, but uh, they're, they're parodies on those motivational posters that you see. Mm -hmm. So there's one, for example, about procrastination and the subheading says, why do today what I could easily put off till tomorrow? Well, that's kind of the exact opposite. It is the exact opposite. We want to, the exact opposite way we want to live our Christian lives without that sense of appreciation and urgency to guard the good deposit. The, the other thing that also reminded me of, of something Tom brought up with regard to the treasure in ancient Palestine, you had, you did not have the ADT or ring security systems that we have today. And so, for example, if there was a threat of thievery or uh, an insecurity with 
uh, valued possession in your home, you would bury it in a field. Well, if the husband went off to war or if the family was overtaken by invaders, of course, nobody in the, in the treasure was buried. Nobody would know where it is. It would be a secret. My point is simply that, with, and I'm not suggesting that this would have to be an illustration in the sermon. However, just imagine someone being so lazy who's a soldier or who's a, who has got something valuable in the home, not protecting that treasure, not doing all that they could to guard what was so valuable for them and for, for their family. Right, right. Uh, it, such a thing would happen only if in their heart they truly did not appreciate the value or didn't care about the value of it. And I, I think that uh, is related to what you guys mentioned about the malady here. Um, then uh, uh, could we also talk a little bit about the parable of the net um, and uh, uh, it, its connection to the, the previous two parables um, and maybe the malady that's being pointed out there? And I think we've, we've kind of maybe hinted at it already, but um, would you guys like to mention a little bit about that and the unique picture that um, is being presented by Jesus to us there. Uh, Tom, would you like to go first and just talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, first of all, the parable itself is, I think, very similar to the parable of the weeds and the wheat, which was last Sunday. Um, the reality of the last judgment that's coming, the uh, net, of course, gathering all kinds of fish, it says. So uh, when the day of judgment comes and the angels start separating to jump between illustration and uh, the fulfillment, there are wicked and there are righteous, there are good fish and there are bad fish. And uh, again, it brings you to the day of judgment and it speaks about throwing the bad fish uh, or the angels throwing those who are among, you know, considered to be the bad fish as uh, into the blazing furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I guess the connection between that and the, the treasure and pearl parables is that uh, in the end, it'll be proven that the thing that is truly valuable is faith in Christ Jesus and the glory that God gives in his eternal kingdom. So um, that's the connection that I would find. There's a temptation to just preach on the... Uh, two parables and the final verses, but I think it's worth, you know, bringing this thought in as well. Andy? Yeah, just to amplify that, the temptation would be, and I think Tom mentioned this the last time we studied the parable of the wheat and the weeds, the temptation would be to mistakenly think that the parable of the wheat and the weeds and the parable of the net are the same. They are absolutely related, but they're not the same. So, the preacher will want to guard against maybe uh, focusing on the patience with the parable, the wheat and the weeds, since it's describing present circumstances, the weeds and the wheat are growing up together. Eventually they'll be discerned. Whereas the parable, the net here is saying the discernment is, is going to come, but it's more focused on not the present, but the, the future exclusively. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to keep these parables together as the triad, you can do that well by taking the, the angle that Tom brought up, which is to say about the discipleship and um, the, the fact that in the end, this, this 
this true value of faith in the gospel will be made public. Great. Uh, Tom, another thought? I was just going to, you know, the question of what is the net specifically. Um, we had, I've seen lots of the commentators who speak on this and just say that it is more than likely just simply the church, um, the gathering people in, and that's because there are good fish and bad fish within it. And there certainly is room to discuss that concept. Um, whereas the wheat in the weeds was more about, he said the field was the world. world. So uh, right. it might be worth exploring, but I, there's lots of thoughts in these uh, four sections of this text. And I think you have to be a little more pointed when you're preaching on something like this. Right, yeah, that, I was going to point that out too, that uh, weed in the weeds is seems to be the world. And here that net is the, the visible church where all are mixed together. Yeah, I, I was seeing it as kind of the flow of thought as the two parables that call for valuing what uh, we have been given, uh, the kingdom, and then the parable of the net, kind of answering the objection of someone who says, well, um, is it okay if I kind of value it, but not really sacrifice for it? Or is it okay if I sort of uh, hang around Jesus um, and be loosely associated with him and his people, um, but, but never let uh, the gospel penetrate deeply um, and, and grab me? so that I might be inclined to sacrifice or give something up? Could I just be loosely associated uh, with Jesus? Um, and the parable of the net says, well, maybe for now, it seems as if that's okay, but there will come a time when there will be separation. And, and as you said, faith in Christ will be shown to be uh, what really mattered, um, faith in Christ, and the, of course, the kingdom, the gospel that, that brought it about. Um, then a uh, where do you go for uh, gospel emphases in uh, this text? Um, is it just in the, the images, the, the treasure, the pearl? Uh, uh, how do you bring out unique aspects of the gospel um, for your people? Thoughts related to that, Tom? Well, I think obviously when you talk about specific gospel, you're going to have to bring the story of the cross and the empty tomb into this to show what the what the treasure in the field is and what the pearl is. So uh, that's the connecting point for sure. But I also thought about the, um, the joy that the man, you know, it specifically expresses what joy he had when he found the treasure in the field. Uh, we can talk about the joy that is produced by the message of Christ paying for our sins and winning the victory for us. And that joy be being ours in the context of owning that treasure. So that's not specific gospel, but it sure, certainly is a product of the gospel in our hearts. And so it's, I don't know if I would preach this more as a call to action or the appropriation of just cherishing the treasure and making sure that it's the highest priority in our lives because nothing's more valuable. Um, I think like Paul and Philippians saying, I consider that everything else is a loss compared to the surpassing worth of yeah. knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord and I consider them garbage, he says, that I may gain Christ. So um, right. it's sort of a call to action, but it's also a call to make sure you're cherishing the treasure and not letting something else take on a distorted value. Right. Yeah, uh, I 
one of the verses in the second reading uh, comes to mind too, uh, verse 19 in First Timothy 6, uh, talking about uh, the rich laying up treasure for themselves so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You know, um, seeing what is actually valuable. Yes, riches, gift from God, useful for so many things, um, but, but the life that truly is life um, is what only God can give by his grace and these spiritual riches. Uh, maybe stealing your thunder, Andy, thoughts on uh, gospel in this text? Yeah, there's, uh, <laughs> we don't really ever want to pay an exorbitant price for an ordinary product. But what would we pay for something extraordinary? I mean, that's that can be a guilt-induced question, but it can also be, I suppose, call to action question, like you you said, Tom, too. But um, the other thing was just that we always want, I mean, it's it's human nature, although we can't find Christ in this way, but we always want great value for the bargain basement price. And what greater value could we have in Christ? There is no greater value. And what lesser price could we pay, which is nothing. Now that really only covers the first two parables, but what it does is it bears fruit in the end. And so this is what gives you a joy that lasts. Um, you know, even when somebody finds an earthly treasure, the joy can be temporary. But when you find the treasure of Christ, of course, or when that is revealed to you, I should say, by the working of the spirit, that's a joy that just endures. Right. Um, how about uh, the last verse of the text? We, I don't know if we mentioned that specifically, or uh, forgive me if we did and, and I missed it. Um, the uh, treasures new as well as old. Um, is that, uh, uh, there's already a lot going on in a sermon. We're hit, hitting on three different parables already, but um, how would you uh, bring that in contextually in, in a way that doesn't overwhelm people with, here's another new thought, Tom? Um, so I know Andy was talking before we came on, maybe you're going to talk about it as a discipleship lesson. I kind of took it another way because Jesus sort of pauses and at the end of his parable teaching and says, do you understand these things? And disciples said, yes. So I kind of took it as he has been training them, which of course is a big part of his whole relationship with them, training them to go out and share the message of the gospel, which he had just talked about and how precious it was. And then I see it almost as a lesson to those disciples who have this in their heart and will be passing it on and teaching. Um, don't forget to bring old treasures out as well as new. Um, I know Professor Jeske has the book Treasures Old and New in which we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament. So that's a legitimate thought. You know, there's treasures in the Old Testament that lead up to the fulfillment of the New Testament, and all of it together is the glorious gospel of the, the kingdom. Um, but then, you know, there's also some people who talk about how it's incumbent upon a teacher of the word, gets that privilege to not just rest on what he learned years ago and keep teaching the old lessons that you've always taught, but Try to expand yourself and your own knowledge so that you have um, many more things to be able to share with your people because the mining of the treasure, if you will, really never ends when you're searching the scriptures. And the one thing that I would caution against that, and I don't think many people are going to go this direction, but 
the idea that we're supposed to come up with new interpretations of scripture and new, that's not the new he's talking about. I, I always get a kick out of some of the older guys will remember the whole craze over the prayer of Jabez back in the nineties and all of, all of Christianity and Christendom in America got crazy about the prayer of Jabez and we, we don't need new teachings. <laughs> we need the ones that the Lord has given to us. So um, that's the way I, I took that verse of make sure that you're sharing all of God's counsel and growing it so that God's people can be amazed at what an amazing treasure they have. Uh, each, each jewel of the word of God is just that precious. Great. Thank you. Um, Andy, anything further on that last verse? Well, I, I actually embrace and, and really appreciate the way Tom said it. I think that's the direction I would go for sure. My initial thought was just something of more of what Christ does for his disciples in time with the guidance and grace of the treasure of the gospel. He deepens our relationship with him. And I, I compared it with you gentlemen earlier to, I just can't, I can't express how grateful say I might be now for um, what my wife brings to our marriage, but it's something so unpredictably valuable and deep by virtue of our years of marriage, something so unforeseen. There's no way I could have estimated the depth and value of it when we first met. But now after having been together and have been married so many years and blessed by the God, by God and his grace, now you appreciate the, you pre, I appreciate her more now than I ever have. And I, and I just wondered if there might be an element of that in here as well, that for those that are taken by the hand, by the gospel, by Jesus Christ, we are, we are shepherded along and guided into um, a depth of our relationship with him that is just unpredictably wonderful. Thank you for that. How do you go about preaching this then? Uh, walk through each of the parables, um, conclude with that final thought in verse 52, or are there other approaches here? Um, just curious to know what, what, what you guys are thinking about doing with these parables in terms of how do you put the sermon together? Tom? Well, I may feel a little bit guilty about this because I do shortchange the parable of the net a little bit with this set up, but I had sort of the idea of cherish the treasures of the kingdom, again, taking more appropriation than call to action, but cherish the treasures of the kingdom. The first one, nothing else compares, which covers the uh, treasure in the field and the pearl and the, of great price. And then the second one is every jewel is precious, which talks about the um, bringing out of old and new. So that does not quite hit the parable of the net real well, though. So Okay, but yeah. Andy? One theme idea I've used in the past for this is um, be a treasure haver because you could take the angle that there, you know, there's a lot of treasure seekers out there in the world today. And whether it be some kind of cable TV show, garage sales and antique shops or Wall Street or Main Street or whatever. Um, but there's, there's, we're all on the hunt for treasure. But what God does in the Gospels, he makes us grateful and delighted to have treasure. And that's something that I think as a theme, depending on how you, you explore it, you could actually use that as a nice overlap into the parable of the net, because in the end, being a treasure haver is what counts. 
Okay. Yeah, treasure haver, linking those those together. Um, great. Uh, well, any any uh, further thoughts for preachers that uh, might be helpful, whether illustration, application, uh, other other thoughts um, that uh, might guide someone as they're preaching this text, Tom. I just, in the midst of looking at all this and preparing this, had so many different verses that were just charging into my mind and songs. And so going back to the Psalm for the day, your love is better than life. Um, it's just such a beautiful way of saying it, to be loved by God, which of course includes the inheritance of eternity, is better than my life itself. It's, it doesn't even compare, which brings you to Paul saying, I consider even the Suffering is not worth comparing to the glory revealed in us. And the other thing I would look at is Psalm 73, verse 25. Who, whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. Um, so many of those things all together express just what a privilege it is to know Christ and saying nothing, nothing else compares, not even my life. So there's scripture itself has a ton of pictures and references. Yeah, that just the value, the inestimable worth of of what God gives us, and uh, and recognizing that. Um, uh, any further thoughts? All right. Well, let's wrap it up then for today. Uh, the Lord bless you, preachers, as you um, work with these concluding parables here in Matthew chapter thirteen, uh, pointing your people to the spiritual wealth they have uh, that is just beyond compare given to them uh, in the kingdom. Um, and may we all treasure that and share it.